People around us who don't understand Christ don't really understand people who follow Jesus Christ. Now, this is a very important lesson today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, taking you through the Bible, the 66 books. And this is important from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Today is another interesting day as we focus on 1 John. Very interesting. Corey? I'm going to be taking a look at Ephesus today, the probable place where these books were written. Ryan? Well, in today's assignment, we read about Cain's works of evil and his wickedness. And so we're going to delve into Cain's life and explore that a little bit today. All right. Very good. Look forward to that as we begin to open up. Janice, what are you doing? In the family. All right. Very good. As we begin to open up the Bible and listen to what God has said to us, get your Bible guide and turn to it. But this is very important. So let's listen to what God says. First John 3, verses 1 through 9. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. First John 1 through 5. This is our reading assignment today as we come closer and closer on the 20th day of December to reading the book of Revelation. I'm looking forward to that because I know that the last few chapters, Satan's not there. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's wait till we get to it. It's going to be very interesting. Now, when I was young, I remember thinking, you know, I need to be cool. I need to appear to be perfect in front of my friends. Then they'll make me their leader. You see, leading was the goal. How to lead was the real challenge. However, there was a time when I came to the realization that my soul is dark and the evil that was controlling me had a deep root to nowhere. 
And you know what? That's when I prayed and I became a follower of Christ. Wow. When I did that, I realized that I didn't need to come up with a plan for me. I would be what God had chosen for me to be and designed me to be. I needed to seek him and discover his plan for my life. This is the remarkable truth that we gain from knowing and following God. I remember my counselor at school and high school telling me I had to decide what I was going to do with my life. It was good to get me thinking, but my decision was ultimately guarded and cared for by God. See, when we realize that we are born of God, he helps us with all of our decisions. And if we let him help us, he will. Very, very important. We need to let God work with us and help us. Today, this is an interesting day. In 1 John 1 to 5, born of God, 1 John 3. Father, I pray today in Jesus' name that you would help us. As we study these chapters and look at the nine verses that you've chosen for us, help us to learn what you've said. And in Jesus' name, this is what we pray. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, remember, if you don't have a Bible guide, write for yours, BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on the Bible guide. It'll take you to a page where you can download it. You can join us. You're seconds away. Join us right away. Now look at this. 1 John 3, verse 1. Just verse 1. Just look at the first verse. Look at this. Behold, or take note, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. That's an opening line, I'll tell you right now. That's a good question. That we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Do you understand that people around us who do not follow Christ do not truly understand us? They don't understand the Bible. They don't understand what we believe. We should pray for others to come to know him and follow Jesus Christ. Remember what we read in Ephesians chapter 6? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Nobody's our enemy. There's one enemy, Satan. And Satan has activated people. But what we need to do is pray for the people, pray for the enemy. Do our best to pray for people. That's what we need to do. Keep that in your heart. Keep that in your mind because that's what God tells us. Now, we've been transformed. We've been called the children of God when we were children of destruction. Look, that's amazing, okay? That, that, that's just a stunning reality. And that's what we are. And I would say to you, if you're not, you can be by asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart and revive your spirit and raise it from the dead so that you can live also for eternity. You don't know how? Oh, okay, I'll tell you how in a minute. John 3, 2 to 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Look at this. We live differently because we are different. And our goals change when Jesus Christ reigns in our life. Our goals change, beloved. We can't see Jesus clearly yet. But when we get to the place 
either we're going to be taken up by God or we're going to perish and our body begins, it's so old, it begins not to be able to sustain our spirit. We're going to see Jesus as he is. Oh, that's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. I thank God for that day. And before that day comes, there's so many people he need to know. You need to come to Jesus and you need to be his. Very, very important. But think about that. Think just think about that. That's very critical. We as Christians will become, our goal is be, to come to the place where we can see Jesus as he really is. Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. That's who I'm talking about. Very good. Interesting. Let's go back to the scripture. John 3, 4 to 9. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifest or made known to take away our sin. And in him there is no sin. So whoever abides or lives in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor know him. Verse 7. Little children, John says, let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. He who practices rightness with God is right with God. Just as he is right with God. You see, verse 8, he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest or made known that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for he seeds or his seeds remain in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. That is excellent. So, to be born of God means we do not live for sin. We reject sin. Sin is real and destructive. We should avoid it at all costs. You know, I like what Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy, he says, if, you, if you're in this situation, you have temptation, run away. He says, flee it, get away from it, run. So beloved, when we come and we see sin, run. Make a way to get out. Lord, help me to run away from here. It doesn't mean run away from people. It means run away from sin. Very, very important. And help us to know the difference, Lord. Father, I pray in Jesus' name as we approach your throne now that you would teach us the difference. And help us not to just think about it and do it, but help us to really think about it. Understand, Lord, that there are many people in our lives that we love and we want to share you with. Help us to do that. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that those who are believers watching me right now, and if they have the courage, I pray, Lord, that they would come in. Give them the courage, Lord. And they would say to you, show them people who they can share who you are to them in their own way, in their own style, Lord. And I pray that you would do that in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all said together, amen and amen. I want to tell you something. When you do that, God will answer that prayer. I'll tell you, he's answered it in my life so many ways. But he will answer that prayer because God sees our prayers. So that's what we prayed. Remember that today.
Now, it's believed that the Apostle John settled in the ancient city of Ephesus. This is believed because of Christian tradition and some Christian history that was written down about him in his later years. So if this is indeed the case, then the book of 1 John was likely written from the city of Ephesus. So let's take a look at it. The Roman city of Ephesus appears many times on the pages of the New Testament of the Bible and in different ways. Ephesus was visited twice by the Apostle Paul, who for his second visit stayed for the unusually long period of two and a half years. From Ephesus, Paul wrote Philippians, Philemon, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and possibly Galatians and Colossians. John, the author of Revelation, possibly wrote his work at Ephesus as well. The book of Ephesians was addressed directly to Christians living in Ephesus. First and second Timothy were written to Timothy, whom Paul had left as a teacher in Ephesus. And Ephesus is one of the seven churches spoken to at the beginning of Revelation. After the time of the apostles, Ephesus continued to be important in the early church. It's believed that here, the gospels may have first been grouped together in a bundle for convenient circulation. There's an early Christian tradition that claims the Apostle John and Mary, the mother of Jesus, chose Ephesus as their last earthly home. When looking at the history of Ephesus, it makes sense that Paul chose to spend a significant amount of time there. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, he claims that a wide door for ministry had been opened for him there. Ephesus was the capital city of the Roman province of Asia Minor, and as such was the residence of a Roman governor and the subject of imperial building and upkeep. It was a major port city that controlled sea and land trade and travel routes, and therefore had a constant stream of travelers and merchants. This was enhanced by its famous temple to the goddess Artemis Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Not only would this temple have attracted many religious pilgrims, but the commercial industry around it also, at least once, caused a major riot due to Christianity's disrupting influence. Ephesus was also a center of emperor worship and hosted its own Olympic Games. Intellectually, Ephesus attracted scholars and philosophers. It had a reputation for scholarship that would culminate after Paul's time in the famous two-story Library of Celsus. Ephesus was in a strategic location that facilitated Christian missions. There was a constant multicultural flow of people, religious pilgrims, and scholars and philosophers to evangelize. It's no wonder that Paul stayed to work in Ephesus and then left his trusted friend Timothy to continue the work. Today, the city of Ephesus is one of the most archaeologically excavated and preserved sites of the Roman world, largely because it was abandoned in history. Its ancient ruins are not covered with a modern city. In the 3rd century AD, the city suffered major damage from an earthquake that wasn't sufficiently repaired until the late 4th century by a Christian emperor. The city lasted until it was ravaged by a fire in the early 7th century, leaving it largely abandoned. When its harbor finally silted up in the 9th century, it was abandoned wholesale, leaving it a place of Christian pilgrimage.
so much that could be said about the ancient city of Ephesus. I tried to keep it very topically appropriate to, you know, correlations between some of the history and archaeology and the New Testament. But honestly, Ephesus is one of the most excavated cities of in the ancient Roman Empire. So there is just a ton of history that could be given about Ephesus. But I hope that this really lays a good foundation for your understanding of the interplay between Ephesus and the New Testament, because there is quite a lot of it. That's interesting. And, uh, and as we focus on this, and we're going to look at it carefully over the next several days, it's going to be fascinating how God has worked with the men and worked with the people, especially John, uh, when we talk about Revelation, which is coming up. Very good. Okay, Ryan. Yeah, well, today my segment is based on 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, which says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Now, in today's segment, we're going to discover just what went wrong with Cain, who was humanity's very first child. But before we do that, I just want to point out that Eve might have actually initially thought that Cain was the promised Messiah, or seed of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, who was destined to crush the head of Satan. Now, I can't prove that, but the language that she uses in the original Hebrew text of Genesis when she announces the birth of Cain is pretty interesting. Although most English translations render her words as, I have acquired a man from the Lord, the text literally reads, I have acquired a man, Jehovah. Now, if she truly believed that Cain was the savior, then she would have been especially let down by his actions. Let's study. Although his mother believed that he was the promised Messiah, he would soon prove her otherwise. Indeed, Cain, humanity's first child, would also become humanity's first murderer. Abel, his younger brother, was a rancher, but he was a farmer. And at the appropriate time, they each brought a sacrifice to the Lord. Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, but Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Cain's sacrifice was not accepted for a few reasons. First, his offering was bloodless. God himself had already set the example of a proper sacrifice when he slew an animal before Adam and Eve after they had sinned. Secondly, though God later did accept grain offerings, these always came into contact with blood, and they were always the first fruits. Cain's offering lacked both properties. Truthfully, Cain knew what was required, but simply refused to do so. And this reveals the heart of the issue, Cain's heart. Cain was not interested in the things of God. And in fact, many biblical clues suggest his motive was distorted. Consider, for example, God's counseling session with Cain. Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. It seems for Cain, sin was already lying at the door of his heart, and he allowed it to rule him. For he rises up in jealousy against Abel and murders him in cold blood. This crime shows just the kind of person he was, and the New Testament writers added their judgment as well, saying Abel was good while Cain was evil. Indeed, even after the murderous act, Cain is not interested in repentance, 
nor is he at all remorseful. When God confronts him, asking, where is Abel your brother? He replies, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? For this horrendous and evil act of violence, God does not take his life, but instead curses him. Since Cain polluted the ground with his brother's blood, the ground will no longer produce adequate crops. Cain's livelihood was gone, and now he would be a homeless fugitive. Cain is utterly devastated and terrified that anyone who finds him will kill him. So God mercifully sets a mark on Cain and declares sevenfold vengeance upon anyone who kills him. Cain indeed lived on in the land of Nod, though now as a wanderer, and even built a city named after his son Enoch. Even though Abel's family line was now destroyed, God mercifully allowed Cain's to continue. So as I mentioned at the end of the segment there, God mercifully allowed Cain's family line to continue on at that point, even though Abel's family line was now destroyed. Now also interesting is that Cain is considered to be the ancestor of all metalsmiths because his name actually comes from a root word meaning metalworker, and his descendant Tubal Cain is credited with the invention of metallurgy in Genesis chapter 4 verse 22. But let me talk about Cain's sacrifice for a minute because there are some arguments surrounding why God did not accept his offering. Now, some believe that there was nothing physically wrong with the offering, but that it was simply that Cain's heart wasn't right before God. But as mentioned in the report, there is evidence that there were physical problems with the sacrifice. And my personal belief is that there were physical issues with his sacrifice and that Cain himself knew that very well. But because Cain's heart and attitude weren't right towards God, he willfully chose to disobey. It's almost like he didn't care enough about following what God had said. Jesus Christ said later that if we love him, that we will follow his commands. Cain obviously didn't love God. May we not be like Cain. You know, it's an offering. It's, the, it's an offering that the first murder occurs. And I find that fascinating. We invented murder. Humans invented murder. And it's over an offering to God. Isn't that fascinating? We need to really think that through. Because when we give to God, we're giving to the Lord. Yeah. And of course, you know, it was the devil who influenced yeah. uh, Cain and all of that, right? Because, I mean, Satan is the ultimate author of evil, right? Yeah. And, you know, we have to watch that. Very, very important. Janice? Well, that's kind of a, the direction that I was taking today when I said that this segment was going to be called In the Family. I love, uh, I'm going to back up a little bit because we're studying John chapter 3, 1 John 3, but I want to back up just a little bit to 1 John 2 and start at verse 28. And John says, And now, little children, abide in him, meaning God, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So it's that willful choice of wanting to be righteous as the Father is righteous. We cannot do that on our own. It's impossible to continue to be right with God if we are not following God, if we don't love God and allow him to help to change us the way we think and the way we react. Then he goes on, and I love this, this portion because you can, you can hear the, the excitement and the amazement in the words here. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us 
that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him, the loved. Now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And so once again, we are in the family of God. Once we have said, yes, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm, I want you to please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you came, that you died on the cross and that you rose again. And I want you to be a part of my life. I want you to dwell inside of me. I, I want to submit myself to you. I want to learn from you. I want to follow you. When that happens, your life changes and you become a son and a daughter of God, creator of the universe. This God wants a personal relationship with you. This is something that astounded John, astounds me, this amazing love and mercy and grace that is extended to each one of us. This is such an amazing and special gift. And in that, there are traits, as we saw and we hear in Cain, that are born in us because we are born in sin. There are decisions, there are weaknesses in our character that will come out that, that, that are not, that should not be there. And instead of willfully saying or making excuses for those things, we need to ask God for his help to change those things, to help us, to teach us. We can do that through prayer through reading the Word of God. It's so important. The Word of God tells us the truth. Sometimes that truth hurts. It cuts deeply because it takes away the excuse of acting and talking the way we think is okay when really it isn't. But the way to overcome that is through the help of God's Holy Spirit within us and allowing that to change. It's not just reading the Bible, Rod. That's what this program is about. It's not just about reading it, but it's about applying it. It's about doing what the Word of God says and reading. I think it's, it's, it's about understanding what the Bible says, discovery, you know, Bible discovery. It's reading the Bible and it's understanding what God speaks to us and we need to apply that in our life. That is a key. And if we don't do that, then what's the point of reading the Bible? There is no point. But the words of the Holy Spirit are powerful and the words of the Holy Spirit will move in our hearts. And it does not mean that, you know, it's gonna be all great. I mean, there'll be many great parts of it, but it means that there'll be very, very absolute truthful parts of it that we need to face. And the truth is that a lot of times we don't face the truth, but the Bible brings us back to the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth to surrender to Him. Today, I want to remind you that we have a prayer meeting Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on the internet, on Facebook and YouTube and Bible Discovery TV. Go there, click on prayer on Bible Discovery TV and you will get to us and we're live and we will invite you to pray with us. It is great, we have a great time. Today we need to pray. And let's pray this way, Lord, I need you in my life. Help me to pay attention to you every single day. Careful.